Amen. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord real quick and uh, thank him for his love and his presence again. Lord, we truly make room for you. Just do whatever you want, Lord. We thank you that you're closer than the air that we breathe. You're with us, God. You are with us closer than we could even comprehend. You hold every cell of our bodies together. You sustain our very breath. And we just give it back in thanks, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Just thank him right now. Would you, in your own words, just lift up, lift up thanks to the Lord. Thank you for your presence. We love you. We honor you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, blessing and honor and glory. Thank you for this house of presence. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful leaders, these pastors. We just honor them. We love them. And I just pray that every single person, every single person in this room would just be ministered to in such a, an amazing way. We thank you for your love. You are so good to us, Lord. Lord, that you've marked this house to be a place where the bread of life is present and people can come and feast. The most broken, the most hurting, all are welcome. We thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can we sit with praise? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be sharing with you. Um, I, I have some things stirring in my heart, and it's so good to see everybody, and uh, it's really good to be here. Thank you for thank you for having us, and uh, we um, weren't planning on coming in town. It was a last-minute decision, and we're here, and uh, we're here for a couple more days. Well, Tuesday we fly out, so uh, thanks for allowing us to come and just minister to you. So if you have your Bibles, come on, somebody. Open up to Mark chapter 6, and if you have a physical Bible, let me hear those pages, come on. If you have a physical Bible, give yourself some heavenly brownie points for being a real Christian. Um, if you have a device, then that's cool too. If you have an iPhone, that's even cooler. If you have an Android, may the Lord deliver your soul. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. Pros and cons. There's some things that are good about it. I have a Mac, so I have an iPhone. I love when we convert people to iPhones, so it's just we rejoice over one soul. Just all, all of the Apple users rejoice over the Android conversion. Come on, somebody. I'm just messing with you guys. Uh, it is good to be in a place. I love the way you guys just wait on the Lord. and um, Man, I love the spirit of the worship team and the heart. Uh, the worship team, and Thomas, your heart for worship. There's such a heart of David. I don't know where he is. I'm looking around. There you are, right there. Come on, somebody. The heart of David in you, the warrior. I just see this picture of you. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I see this picture of you on the backside of a mountain. Uh, and uh, it's like, you know, King David just just doing his thing. Unseen, but the Father sees you. And that worship that takes place. I just see you like in your room at home worshiping with your guitar. And uh, there's this thing in you that just loves the presence of God. And the Lord's so pleased. He just smiles. And, and that's why when you sing, there's a release of something that ushers people in uh, to the presence of the Lord. And Marzette, man, I just loved hearing you sing today. It's amazing. 
And, uh, man, there's such a song. I just want to encourage you that there is, I saw this picture of, um, I could feel your heart, you know. And uh, I know you've been through a lot. And God bless you and your husband, your family, and had an honor to meet you. And I know you've been through a lot. But there's something about a song. I saw a picture of almost like going through a valley and singing in the valley. And there was a resounding. It was like this canyon. But there was a there's a certain sound when you sing in a valley that it marks you. And, and there's worship that, that can be, you know, like it's good to just, I mean, we're created to worship and praise and give thanks to God. And um, there's a wallet over here. I don't know if anyone knew that. Okay. All right. Cool. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to snatch it. No, I'm just playing. Um, that's my old life. No, actually, I didn't. I was never a thief. It was never something I did. It was a lot of other things, but not that. Um, but, uh, man, I just got totally distracted. Worship. Praise. There's something about worship when you you don't have any reason to worship, and you you choose to worship anyway. Um, and there is a a mark of it's like you know the picture of uh, an olive being crushed and fresh oil comes out. See, there's a song that comes forth from brokenness that releases. The captives. It's like, and and I loved hearing you sing. I just, I want to encourage you. There's an anointing on your life, and and I remember that years ago. Um, but I just love the the spirit of worship in this house, and your the way you led communion, Wesley, was just beautiful. I'm just encouraging you. I'll get to the message. I know you guys turn, open your Bibles. I have another hour, so no, I'm kidding. I don't. I ain't going that long. I won't do that. Um, but I, I I want to encourage you the. The prioritizing, making space. I will make room for you. Making sacred space for God. Making sacred space to encounter God. We don't want to just see God and understand God and understand the Bible. It's good to have good theology. That's how we see God. How, but how we experience God. If your theology doesn't lead you into a real experience, a real encounter with God, it marks your life. Like I know people that, that have known the scripture and they could debate atheists and then they leave the faith. I don't want to just have knowledge about God. I want to experience, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good, man. I want to come to the fountain of living water and drink, man, because there's a world out there that needs an encounter with God. They need your revelation of God. They need your encounter with God. you got to take it to the streets, man. you got to take that bread of heaven and bring it to the people that are hurting and broken around you. And I just want to commend you as a church that makes space in worship. And you're doing well. And I, I'm so thankful to be here, man. I could just, just sit on the front row and worship. And then y'all decide to, you know, wash our feet in the middle of worship. And we're crying. And, you know, praise God. That's an offering. This little baby bottle. The milk of the word. It's prophetic. There's a little baby bottle. little baby bottle. Um, I'm just messing. I, I'm crazy like that. So let's let's get into the word. But I, I, I just really, uh, I, I love communities of faith, Christian communities that, that honor uh, the presence of the Lord. You know, there's, there's something that happens um, where in a service, it's like the Lord takes the platform. And the worship team could be singing, maybe not, maybe it's a spontaneous song. Like you started, I think you began to sing some spontaneous stuff and the congregation grabs a hold of it. And then there's 
times of contemplation. I, I love that you're not afraid of silence. I, there, there's something that happens when the Lord takes the platform, though. I'm telling you where the church is headed, and when I say this, the body of Christ, we are headed to a place where the Lord is going to take the platform, and worship will just go, and people will get set free, demons will be cast out, chains will break, bodies will be healed in the presence of God. And God's everywhere, but he wants to manifest somewhere. And he manifests where he is welcomed, where he's not tolerated, and where there's an anticipation, a holy anticipation, not a vain expectation, but a holy anticipation where you say, God, I'm making room. Do whatever you want to do. I love that. I love it so much. That's why I just wasted seven minutes of my preaching talking about it. Um, it's just so good, man. So, so good. So good. I'm telling you, it is the most important thing that you can do. We do need to preach the word. We got to train and teach and all of that. But being a house of presence is the oasis that flows to every other healthy part of a church, equipping the saints, evangelizing. All of that comes from just our encounter with the Lord together. Amen. All right, let's dive into the word. I want to I want to look at this story in um, in Mark chapter six of the feeding of the five thousand, and the Lord was just speaking to me about this, and um, and I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to what, what I felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you today, but I'm going to just go for it. Let's just start reading, okay? I already prayed, so let's just start reading. And I've been praying. We've been at a conference. I've been praying. My wife always messes around. Like we we go to church. And then and we have two services, and which, by the way, the Lord is doing amazing things in Rochester. It's just so cool what the Lord's doing there. But we get we go to eat after church. Come on, who loves a good meal after church? Oh, glory to God! Better be good food too, you know. Um, I love when the, the the waitress or the hostess is like, "Do you have any food allergies?" I'm like, "Yes, I'm allergic to bad food." So just make sure it's really good. Tell the chef. Uh, but we're like, we're about to eat, and then. All right, somebody bless the food. Rochelle's like, I've been praying all morning. That food is blessed. Like, I'm ready to eat. Come on, somebody. So I already prayed. So we're just going to go right into the message. Um, Mark chapter 6. Thank you, Father. The story of the feeding of the 5,000. Quick context. Uh, Jesus sends out the disciples. Actually, he is uh, pretty much dishonored by his own people in his own region. The Bible says they were offended at the fact that he was human. They were offended, that's a whole sermon, at the humanity of Jesus. Of course, he was perfect, and of course, he was fully divine and fully human. This is the hypostatic union that Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, sharing the same divine substance with the Father and the Spirit, eternal, co-substantial, that the Son was not just fully God, but he was also fully man. This is the mystery of the hypostatic union. So just a little history or a little context here in Mark chapter 6. They were offended that, oh, isn't this just, this is Jesus. Yeah, I know his brothers and sisters. Are you kidding me? He's here to pray for me and do miracles? Give me a break. This is just Jesus. And then Jesus says a prophet, a prophet is not without honor in his own country. Uh, and, and there was a few miracles, a few healings that happened. Uh, and Jesus, of course, just, eh, whatever, you know, moves on. Then he sends his disciples out, and his disciples 
uh, they're casting demons out and they're he- anointing the sick and healing the sick. And then they come back and they're telling Jesus, man, this was awesome. There's other accounts in the Gospels you can read that are like this. But they're, uh, I, I actually, I want to start reading at verse 30 and pick up right there. Uh, there's a little short summary of what's going on at the same time with John the Baptist. But Mark chapter 6, verse 30 says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told them all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Verse 31, And then he said to them, Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. It's almost like this, this man, it's so cool. Like, they're out doing the stuff. And he's like, all right, let me, let me now, now just come out here and take a break. There is this beautiful pattern or rhythm of ministry to be able to minister and then rest. There's a place in God that we can live in, a place of rest where we're not striving, not only striving for his love and striving to please God and always like, oh, God, I, you know, I, I hope you don't judge me and I go to hell tomorrow. Like there's this place of rest in God where we're secure, where we know he loves us. We can go out and do what God's created us to do and then enter into a place of rest. And Jesus says, let's come out to a deserted place and rest a while. It says there were uh, many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. How many have been so busy, you get caught up, and you don't even eat? And this is what was happening. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot to all the city. So they said, wait, Jesus and the disciples are going over there. We're going to take another route, and we're going to bug them. And it says they arrived before them and came together to him. And when Jesus, it says, and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. I love the Lord, man. He, I mean, can you imagine the disciples are like, yeah, that sounds good, Lord. Let's take a little vacation. And then all these people show up. I thought we were on vacation. And then Jesus, which Jesus often, he was a sensovert. He had wisdom to know when to be by himself but he didn't have social anxiety. He loved people. Come on, somebody. He was not an extrovert or introvert. He was a sensovert. He had wisdom. He walked with the Father. He knew there's time to spend time with God. There's time. He knew he often would withdraw and pray, but this was not that time, even though they were on their way to do it. The people came, and he was moved with compassion to reveal the heart of the Father for them. There's something about that that's so powerful. And it says, uh, it, it says here, where are we at? Verse 34. Y'all with me? And a great multitude move of compassion for them. They were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Wow. On vacation. Come on, somebody. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is late. You ever been there? You ever been in a place where you're in the wilderness and it's getting dark? That's a power pause if you didn't know what that was right there. Just let that settle. Have you ever been in a place where, like, it's, it seems kind of dark, and it doesn't, like, there's not a lot of life around here, and I don't like it. What am I supposed to do here? It says, the disciples said, this is a deserted place, and it's getting late. Send them away. Who's them? The, the multitude. 
that they may go up into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And I love what the Lord says here. You give them something to eat. (laughs) In John's account of this, uh, one of the disciples is like, it, it was a rhetorical question. Jesus is testing them. Are you thankful that when the Lord tests us, it's not to, um, to challenge us in a way where it's like, ha, I told you, you failed, loser, but it's to transform us. The, the testing of the Lord is to change us, to build our internal being, to do what God called us to do in a greater way. And, and I love what one of the disciples says. He's, he's like, Lord, we would need like, let me just put it in contemporary terms. It's, a, it's like a half a year's worth of wages. We need like 25 G's to feed these people to give them like a bite or two. Lord, you're tripping. How are we going to feed them? But Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii of bread and give them something to eat? Uh, in John's account, it, it's a little bit different. Then verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. In the account in John, it's one of the disciples speaks up and says there's a little, there's a young boy that has just a few loaves and some fish. And then they bring to Jesus what they had. Um, and most of us know the story. I'm just going to read through and then I'm going to just share with you a few things that I've seen here and I know it's going to minister to you. So it says here, uh, five loaves and two fish, verse 39, and then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they took down in ranks 150s, and when they had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples uh, to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So he so all ate, and all were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and the fish. And those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. That's a lot of people, including women and children. Who knows how many that was? Could have been upwards of 15,000, maybe more. If they're like my wife and I, we got five kids to feed. That's a lot. Don't go to the store with me. I might find a wallet on the ground and (laughs) like, oh, you, you got this? Okay, $300. That'll feed us for two days in our house. Jesus, have mercy. So I want to just go through, and th- there's certain things that I've seen here. First thing that I see that's, that's profound. First of all, I just want to tell you, like, I, I think it's so important that we are hungry for the Lord in the right way. Like, we don't hunger for God in a way where we're starving orphans and there's nothing to eat, but knowing that he's going to take care of us. But there's something about making that space, what I opened up, the message with, you know, just, Lord, we just are so anticipating being in your presence and feasting on your love. And this happens not just in our own personal prayer time, but it happens on a Sunday morning like today where we're hungry. Uh, You know, when we moved to Rochester, um, first of all, it was the hardest decision we ever made. We had to leave family, friends, loved ones, and uh, there's this scene in um, It's a Wonderful Life where the guy picks up the phone and, and he's invited to go to Rochester. And he's like, Rochester? Why Rochester? And this is our phrase that we constantly tell the Lord. Even though in the midst of being there, it's like, 
God is doing amazing things, and it's home now, and we're there, and, and the Lord's doing incredible things. But it was the hardest decision we ever made. Um, but one of the things that we found out is that there's not a lot of restaurants in Rochester like there is in Vegas. And I don't know about you. I know you can tell already I'm a foodie. Come on, somebody. But this was, I, I mourned for six months because we don't have good Mexican food there. Can I just be honest with you? This was a big deal. And oh, you're, you're thinking, oh, that's carnal, Pastor. Nope, the Bible says he satisfies your mouth with good things. And so immediately, I'm like, no, I know your promises, Lord. I need to find a good Mexican restaurant in this city in Jesus' name. And we went out praying. Lord Jesus, where do we go? And we found some. It took a while, but we found some. There, there's a place here in Vegas. There's a lot of restaurants. This is a town where you can get some good food. You guys take it for granted. Another thing you take for granted is the sun. You don't see the sun in Rochester. You think Seattle's bad. Like, we go literally weeks with no sun. Weeks, no sun. Like, where's the sun? Where's the sun? What's going on? In Vegas, we show up here, and it's like, I can't even see. I need some of those sunglasses that cover the whole eye, The you know. Man. But there's so many good restaurants here. One of the restaurants that uh, I remember going to one time and, um, actually, my, my mother-in-law is here, and my dad and stepmom are here. Laris is here in the front row. Come on, somebody. Um, but um, I remember when I first met my mother-in-law, I, I, I met my wife in church, by the way. You, you know, thank God. Thank God. When you find a wife, you find a good thing. And uh, I, I met my mother-in-law first, and we're in a Bible study, and, and uh, we're praying. And she's like, ooh, glory. I'd never heard that before. I was raised Catholic. And I'm like, they don't do that in the Catholic church. You know, they might do this or something else. And so I'm like, ooh, glory. Like, that's cool. And then someone would pray something just a little bit more, like, spicy. She'd be like, ooh, glory. And I'm like, man, that was a good one. Like, ooh, glory. There's like, and I've learned in life with, with food, there's like levels of ooh, glory. Some food is just like, mm, that's pretty good. Mm, glory. I was at this restaurant, and, man, it was like a high level of, ooh, glory. My wife and I were eating, and, uh, and it was like this. Oh, man, it was like a pork belly, green chili breakfast with tortillas. Has anyone else not eaten breakfast? Raise your hand if you're hungry. Praise God. Well, th this, we're going to take this, and then we're going to spiritualize it in a minute. So just let me just tell you the story. And I'm eating this, man, at this place in Henderson. And I was just, in, it was insane. I'm like, this is so good. It's so freaking good. I almost cussed. I, I, like, I literally was like, I'm, no, I spoke in tongues instead. And I'm like, I'm like, Rochelle, this is so good. I'm telling the people next to me, I don't even know. I'm like, dude, y'all need to try this right here. You want to try it? I don't even know. I'm, take a bite. And no, not really. I didn't do that. <laughs> but I was like, it was like the good news. I'm like, oh, oh, oh you got to try the green chili. Hallelujah. But it, it, in that moment, man, it was like, ooh, glory. It was so bomb, man. Um, and that's wonderful when you are able to enjoy and he satisfies your mouth with good things. But then there's time in life where there is not this abounding provision, but you are abasing and you feel maybe like the multitude where it's getting dark and you're out in the middle of nowhere, and you're hungry, 
And nobody got no food except a little kid with a little lunch, and they jacked his lunch to feed the 5,000. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? You know, I've been in ministry for a long time, and there, there are times I'm like, God, I, I feel like I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. But at the same time, I have this internal struggle where, like, I want to keep saying yes, but this is painful. It feels dark, and I feel like I'm in a wilderness. And I want to go through this story, and I just want to show you some things that I see in the text that are so profound. The first thing is change of perspective. In the book of John, chapter 6, verse 10, it says there was lots of grass in this area. At one point in my life, that would have meant something entirely different. But in this context, there was a place for them to rest. Even in the wilderness, even when it's dark, the Lord will have us change our perspective and see that not only we at a place where he can cause us to lie down in green pastures because he's a good shepherd. But we can see that we're surrounded by him and beautiful people. There's times in life the Lord will shake me up a little bit and say, just look at what you have, son. There's a lot of good things around you. You know, so many times, even the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side, we're always looking, it's, it's because we don't see the grass that's in front of us, or we don't want to mow the grass that's in front of us. Come on, somebody. Like, we don't want to honor and value, like, what God has provided and realize that even in the midst of the wilderness, where we're thinking, like, this, this is, there's nothing living out here. But in the text, we see this, that he said, sit down in the grass, and just take a minute. We have to have a change of perspective. You know, there's a time I was going through it in ministry, and my my kids, they know stuff that, you know, like my spiritual son, Laris, lived with us for five years. He saw us go through things as pastors, um, you know, just relational things, and stuff happens, and it's difficult sometimes. And uh, not too long ago, my oldest son, David, was in worship, and I saw in this moment of worship, he was carrying it. And I didn't want him to carry, or I didn't want his heart to get callous. So I walked over to him, and I prayed for him, and he began to weep in the presence of the Lord. And I said, Lord, I just release him from this burden. And, and because my son loves me, he was carrying it. And I didn't want him to, I didn't want him to carry a burden that's not meant for him. And, and, and sometimes the Lord in this, this time where we feel like we're in a wilderness, we have to realize that we don't have to carry those burdens. He's going to take care of us. And there's a place where he causes us to lie down in green pastures of healing. And we have to have a change of perspective. Uh, Jesus was revealing his heart of compassion to the people, even while... They were supposed to be at rest. He just started teaching. The Lord is so good, man. Just the way as they're, they're following the rabbi, the way the Lord just, this is how you're supposed to walk. Even when you think you need a break, don't forget it's about people. 
Don't forget that I love them. Don't forget that they need a shepherd. There's something about capturing the heart of God in the wilderness. There's something about God teaching you how to love when you don't want to love or you feel unloved. Hello? And the first thing I see is a change of perspective. See the people. See the multitude. From abasing to abounding, the Lord said, just sit down in the grass. And in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 10, it says there was a lot of grass. There's, There's a place of rest in the midst of the wilderness. The other thing he said, he said, sit down. Sit down and rest. Sit down and rest. Recently, I was on vacation in Cancun, and um, I've learned that if we take vacations often, my, we, we're very passionate about things in life. One of them is vacations. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Amen. And food, obviously. I already told you that. But we go to Cancun, and there's this all-inclusive resort that we go to, and it's amazing. And we go and nine days, just over a week we're there, and it's like all-inclusive. So we're eating and having a good time. We're with family. One of the best trips. But during this trip, I'm trying to unplug and rest. And, and at the same time, I'm like, I'm thinking about ministry things. I'm thinking about stressful things. And I'm thinking about like, and my heart is conflicted. There's like this internal struggle. And there was this moment I walked out to the ocean. And it's the Caribbean Ocean, which is, if you've never been in the Caribbean, it's, it's nothing like, I love Newport Beach and Laguna Beach. Come on, somebody. And I know that's not, I love, but the Caribbean is like, it's, oh, it's just gorgeous. The aqua blue water. And, and I walk out and I'm like, Father, I need your grace to be able to rest right now. I need, and Jesus looks at the multitude. And I love this, man. He says, tell them to sit down. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord just needs to, listen, go take a nap. Come on. Get some rest. Rest is an attribute of a life that's grounded in faith. In fact, faith, the flavor of faith is rest. Just like the flavor of Italian food is usually like some good marinara. Come on, somebody. I'm not. What am I, Italian? No, I'm not Italian. But some really good sauce. What's the flavor of marinara? Tomato. Like the flavor of faith is rest and trust. And the Lord says, tell them, he commanded them, sit down. Take a break. Rest. He's telling the multitudes. That's the second thing I see here. And I, of course, think of Psalm 23. We all know it. The Lord, this revelation of the Lord being the good shepherd. Jesus, the, in fact, every leader uh, in the church should have the heart of Jesus as a shepherd. Even if, whether they're a prophetic or apostolic or an evangelist, we should always remember that he is the chief shepherd of our souls. And there's something about his love as a shepherd. And the shepherd said, sheep, sit down. And here's what it says. We're all familiar with the text. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So good. See, there was this moment at the ocean on this last vacation. I'm stressing about things. My heart, my body was there, but my heart was somewhere else. Sometimes you got to get your body where your heart is, or your heart where your body is, and just point your heart in the right direction. There was this moment I had with the Lord. I said, yes, Lord, I surrender to your love. 
but we have to posture ourselves to receive. And sometimes that means sit down. The other thing I see here, in one of the accounts, as they began to feast, they ate as much as they wanted. This is what the scripture says. Now, that sounds great. Like, come on, thank God for all-you-can-eat buffets, right? But let's, let's take that and spiritualize it for a minute. How hungry are you for his love? I will make room for you. I think about the Azusa Street Revival that was marked by the presence of the Lord. It was also marked by tearing down ethnic walls. Do you know that in the early 1900s and, of course, 1800s beyond the history of our nation, you would not see uh, blacks and whites worshiping together on a Sunday morning? Azusa Street was marked with the presence of God in such a way that none of that mattered and the walls came down. In fact, in the Second Great Awakening in the 1830s, which was in Rochester, and I actually shared birthday with Charles Finney, um, so I'm there to start another Great Awakening. Come on, somebody. And here's a profound story. First of all, Charles Finney says that when people repented of prejudice, revival broke out every time. The Lord loves when walls come down. He, he tears them down. But in the Second Great Awakening, uh, Charles Finney, the revival's happening, and they're building a church, and the church doesn't have a balcony. And the reason it didn't is because he wanted everybody to just worship together. In the balcony, usually people of color would sit on the balcony because it was so segregated. And the contractors are like, Finney, where's the balcony? He says, there is none. Well, where are the people of color going to sit? With everybody else, they burnt the building down. I don't know the rest of the story. I think they rebuilt it. But the point is this. The heart of God is to tear down walls. And I'm reminded of Azusa Street, which the catalyst of Azusa Street was William Seymour. He's a black preacher, blind in one eye. And there's this there's this quote from the Azusa Street Revival book. It's a book that says Azusa Street. And the prayer meeting started in a home and went to another place. I think it was like a stable. Um, and they're just, they're hungry. And one, here's a quote. The measure of the spirit of revival is measured exactly by the spirit of repentance. How hungry. They ate as much as they wanted. See, the Lord wants to feast. He wants you to feast on his love. But how much do you want? He's not going to force you. How much of his presence and his love do you want? They feasted on as much as they want. There's a place that we have to posture ourselves to, to turn our hearts to the Lord in repentance and humility and honor. Say, Lord, I need your love. And it's people that choose to feast on it that change the world. I actually believe that from the Zoo Street Revival, the walls that came down, there is something about the West Coast that's different than the East Coast. There is more racial tension in the East Coast. And I actually believe it's connected to Azusa Street and what the Lord did in the early 1900s. What can happen in the presence of the Lord? It's beautiful. The other thing here, I, man, this is one of the most powerful things. Jesus says, you feed them. Look at the person next to you real quick and just say, you feed them. 
Sometimes I think we pray for things God's telling us to be the answer to the prayer. Sometimes I think we're, we're still asking God for stuff. He's already given us the answer. It's in his word, and we're sitting around praying, and God's like, just go do it. Just do it. Come on, somebody. Like, he says, you feed them. You've got something they need. They're hungry. Give it to them. Lord, it's going to cost 25 grand to feed these people, and they're going to only get a couple bites. Jesus is like, come on, man. And then somebody speaks up in the book of John. It says somebody speaks up and says, oh, there's this kid over here. It's got a little bit of bread and fish. Bring it to me. You feed him. Don't look at what you don't have. Give Jesus what you got, and he will multiply it. This is what I have. I give it to you. I put it in your hands. And let the Lord multiply it. And notice that it wasn't about, and the disciples were like, send them away. We don't got enough food for everybody. Send them home. Send them to the cities. But Jesus was moved. He said, no, what you have, I'm going to multiply. It's not just about you, 12. It's about the multitudes that are hungry and that are out here in the wilderness because they want to be around me. And so we're going to feed them. We're going to take care of them. Don't just look at your lack. Look at what you have and honor God with it, and he'll multiply it. And God will use it to reach the world around you. Jesus, he can work with a small idea, but he cannot work with apathy. Jesus can work with just a little resources, but he cannot work with a spirit that wants to hoard everything. Ministry is never about us. It's about self-giving. It's about releasing the humble love of God to a broken world. And this is what Jesus showed him. He said, you feed them. You feed them. Feed others. Number four, feed other people. There's something about realizing that, I I mean, I think there's times that I, I have these internal struggles with the Lord. I'm like, why, Lord? Why? And then it's almost like, you're my why. The Lord says that to me. You're, you're his why. And then, and then his love transforms my thinking, my perspective. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. And Lord, you're my why too. It's like a marriage. Why? My eyes look at my wife like, you're my why. And she looks at me. You're my why. And it's the same thing with the Lord. And then we realize that when we're, Branded with that love, he says, you're my why. That we look at the world and we say, that's my why. Because I don't want, I can't hoard this love that I've been freely given. There are hungry people. And Jesus says, you feed them. There is a responsibility. Listen, the church is going through a season right now where, and, and, and this is, definitely happening in this house where we are taking personal responsibility for the Great Commission. Take personal ownership over the Great Commission. It doesn't mean you have to be this evangelist like, you know, Todd White. You could do that. That's great. You could, you could actually just ask people if they want prayer every once in a while. You could actually just smile. 
You can manifest the fruit of the Spirit at work. You can invite people to church. Well, I, know, I don't want to invite people to church. I just, you know, I, uh, listen, statistically, most people will come to church if they're invited. It's not complicated, but they're hungry people, and we can't keep it to ourselves. We cannot be his hands and his feet without having his heart. When I look at this story, Jesus is giving the disciples his heart. The last thing here, and I'm jumping back to the verse where it says, this is so powerful, man. Verse 41 of uh, Mark chapter 6. Are you all enjoying this this morning? I hope so because it's a good message. So, no, I'm just playing. Verse 41, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up, he looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven. It says he blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and then they fed everybody else. He looked up. Say, look up. There are so many people out there that don't know Abba's love, the Father's love. Jesus was always yielded to his Father. He revealed the heart of his Father. I love the way Jesus prayed. Often you'll see throughout the Gospels, when he prayed, he didn't bow his head. Only one time I can find, and it was in the garden before he surrendered to the crucifixion that he was about to endure it says that he bowed to the ground, but that was more of a, he was prostrate before the Lord, before the Father. But all through the Gospels, when Jesus prayed, he looked up. He looked up. I thought of this verse, and I'm telling you, the Lord is on this right now. Psalm 3.3, that he is a shield around you, your glory, and the lifter of your head. I'm telling you right now, the Lord is breaking the spirit of depression off some people in this room. Look up. I know it might feel like you're in a wilderness. I know it might feel like I don't know if I can go any further if I don't feast on some food that has some substance. But I'm telling you right now, the Lord is the lifter of your head. Look up. Jesus looked up, and he th- there's something about thankfulness and praise. Even in the midst, listen, Psalm 22, 3 says, you are holy. I will praise you. Let, let's just turn to Psalm 22 real quick. Psalm 22, I love this, man. This is so beautiful. Psalm 22, 3. This is the, the psalm Jesus was quoting on the cross because in his humanity he felt our abandonment. He went through it. He felt the in his humanity. He felt, and he and if you read the whole psalm, he vindicates the servant of the Lord. He actually, towards the end of the psalm, it says, "You have not hidden your face from me." As his father, he, Jesus even said, "Like I and my father are one." He says, "You're going to leave me, but my father's not going to leave me." And here's how he starts it. He says, my God, my God. And, of course, this is a psalm of David. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever felt like that? Why am I out in this wilderness? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, 
Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear me. It feels like you're silent, Lord. Have you ever been there? And in the night season, and I am not silent, but you are holy. Say, but you are holy. And one translation says, but still I will praise you. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. You inhabit your the reign of your government is ushered in when I look up. The reign of heaven is ushered in when you look up. When you posture your heart to heaven and realize, Father, I thank you that everything's going to be okay. It might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It might look like I'm in a wilderness, but there's a lot of grass right here I can graze in. And you're going to take care of me. There's something about praise and pointing our hearts at Abba and realizing that we have a father that loves us and he's going to take care of us. Can I pray for you? Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Lord, thank you for your people. I thank you for the provision. You are the bread of life. You're the bread of heaven. We feast on you, on your love. May our hearts be branded with your love so that we can not hoard this bread from heaven, but give it to the hungry, to the broken, to the hurting. Change our perspective. Get our eyes off ourselves and onto heaven. Teach us, Lord. Teach us your love in the midst of what we go through in life. Teach us to sit down, to rest, to feast, to feed others around us, and to look up. I thank you for this house. I thank you for every person. And I just pray that we would make room for you. And our cry and our prayer would truly be, Lord, do whatever you want to do. We make space. Would you lift your hands right now and just tell them in your own way. Say, Lord, I make room for you. I make room for you. I'll make space for you. We thank you for your presence. Just begin to thank him. If you have your prayer language, would you just begin to lift it up to the Lord right now? Come on, just quietly just begin to pray in the spirit or just pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. I set my heart, my eyes, and affection on the things of heaven. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you for change right now. Thank you for transformation. I just bless your people. Lord, I pray right now for the reality of the abundant provision of your love that is coming, the multiplication of the bread and the fish. Lord, thank you right now that you're going to take care of us. You're going to feed us. It's all going to be okay. I prophesy over every heart and every life. It's all going to be okay okay in Jesus name and we thank you Lord I thank you for this wonderful community I thank you for these leaders that lead with grace in your heart and there's a purity Lord that you've branded in this house it's in the worship it's in the word it's in the fellowship it's in the experience and I pray God that the hungry in this region would come and feast on the bread that is in this house we love you we honor you and we set our hearts upon you in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can we thank God one more time? Come on.